Season 1, Episode 2, What Too Many People Misunderstand About Education. So we're going to be getting into some myths of education and what the truth is, or at least the truth as I see it. Um, there is a handout that goes with this, a download. So if you want to see some notes and um, kind of see all these myths and truths all together, you can go to decodinglearningdifferences.com and get that handout. So myth number one, there is a right way or best. I have way too often seen people asking for recommendations on the best curriculum, the best program, the best charter, the best public school. Should I public school? Is it better to homeschool? Is it better to go to a private school? I've also, the worst to me is I've seen way too many companies prey on worried parents and tell them that their way is the best way. And if they don't pay for this expensive program for their child, they are going to be suffering and denying their child education and their child's life will be miserable and blah, blah, blah. They really are using fear tactics. And I think it's a huge problem because the truth is, what is best for you or your child depends on a ton of factors. If you and your partner don't want to homeschool, if you have a partner, if you don't want to homeschool, it's probably not the best for you. If, although I will say there are options, if your child really wants to be homeschooled and you guys don't really want to homeschool, there are options there that I've seen people get creative and kind of join pods where they themselves don't really take on the homeschool instruction, but they might provide all of the curriculum for the group. They might provide, um, a place or pay for some activities for the whole group because maybe they have two working parents, they have a little more income than some of the other families, so they'll provide some of the financial support for the homeschool program, but um, they won't they won't be directly giving the instruction because they don't want to. It's not their thing. They have something else that they want to be doing with their time, and that's fine. I think there's a really good way to respect what you want and need and what your child wants and needs and make that work. Um, and I'm not saying make homeschool work. I'm saying if you have that ability, you could, might be able to get creative. Um, of course, right now in January of 2021, locally we are in lockdown, quarantine, whatever you want to call it. So there's not a whole lot of pods happening in person, although some still are. Um, they've found ways that they feel safe and and that's their choice so um the truth is there is no perfect way to educate a child public school private school homeschool charter school unschool all have their merits they all have families that it is perfect for families that it is the worst thing for and i say families because like i said it has to do with not only the child and what they need want but the parent and what they need want so Finding out about all of them is really beneficial to figuring out what is best for you specifically. What program might work well for your child depends on a ton of factors. If you look at a program and it says, we're all for about special needs, I call BS because <laughs> that is way too huge. 
which special needs are you serving? Are you serving children with intellectual disabilities? Are you serving children who are twice exceptional? Because there's a really big difference there. Who are you serving? Because if you're claiming that you're serving all special needs, you're not serving anybody. Um, I So I have a hard time with that. If they say dyslexia, okay, it might be a little bit better. It'd be worth looking into. But I will also say most programs that are good, most good dyslexia programs are very similar. They have most of the same things in common. In fact, one of the ones that I use a lot with students is Barton for dyslexia, for kids with dyslexia. I use the Barton program. And I've even heard Susan Barton, who created the program, say, yeah, it's good. You could use it or you could use something else, whatever, like, <laughs> which I appreciate. She didn't say those exact words. It was something similar, though. She understands that what she has to offer is based on just good understanding of dyslexics, what they might need. And it's not really that much better than anyone else's program. Um, like I said, I use it. I happen to like it in general, but I don't use it with every child that has dyslexia. It really depends on a lot of factors. Um, so there's particular... <sighs> I'm going to try not to name them. There's a particular tutoring program out there that tries to supplemental, supplement your child's entire education. They want you to pull the child out of school, or at least for part of the, like a huge part of the day, like half the day, sometimes more, and they're going to fix your child's difficulties. But they only have a few programs. And you have to start with certain programs before you can go to another program. So they've got like a handful, like five programs, if I'm counting correctly, <laughs> quickly in my head. They only have a few and they're claiming to serve every child who is struggling. And then they tutor the kid for four hours a day, five days a week and make a little bit of progress. But for the amount of time that a child is getting one-on-one -on -one instruction, it's not that impressive really with the amount of growth that I see and I and I they're very expensive and the people who are delivering the instruction are poorly instructed like they only know how to give that instruction they aren't college graduates even they're often college students who are like doing it as a side thing and they're getting paid minimum wage or a little bit better and then the parent is paying 10 times that amount for the child to receive this service so to me they're kind of a scam I'm not a huge fan. <laughs> Their actual programs they use are fine. They're good. I've used the actual program because they actually sell the kit. I've used those kits with certain kids, but it, the idea that it works for all kids, I call BS. Um, every child is different and you kind of have to look at different individual factors in a lot of different ways. Um, also in that particular case, it takes some effort to get a child to be able to access their program. Like you have to teach the child a bunch of stuff just to get them to be able to access the program and then start making progress. So there's a reason they gotta have them for four hours a day, five days a week. Okay, um, and then the, to go with that, the truth about curriculum is similar to that, to the programs. I This is the question I see the most in various um, like Facebook groups about homeschooling. What curriculum should I use? Well, and you're going to get, if you look at the answers, comments, everyone just puts down what they like, what they're using. And you're going to get 20 different answers for the exact same question, even if you're kind of specific. Even if you say, 
for fourth grade math curriculum with a Christian background. I don't know why you need a Christian for math, but whatever, <laughs> whatever your preference is. If you kind of put all those things day or together or fourth grader with dyslexia, again, you're gonna get all these different options and it depends on what works best for your specific child. Does your specific child do best with a computer program? Then yeah, something, one of the big ones I see all the time is Nessie, that it's a computer-based program. I tried it with some of my students, wasn't super impressed myself, but that that is different. Um, and other people have seen huge improvement. So I'm not saying it's not good. I'm saying it just depends. Um, and like I said, most curriculum really is more similar than different. Most of the programs are more similar to different. Most curriculum is more similar than different. Um, especially if you're looking at just kind of a generic reading language arts curriculum. They're gonna have most of the same components. A math curriculum, gonna have most of the same components. There are free curriculums out there that you can just have for free. Maybe just download it, print it out, so it's the cost of printing it. Um, not, and there's other ones that are very expensive and maybe they're worth it to the people who are using them. I'm just saying, they're more similar than different. Spending your time figuring out which curriculum is the one that you should get is not the best use of your time, in my opinion. In my opinion, learning some of the stuff that we're gonna be going through in this podcast and in the upcoming, um, online courses that I'll be doing where you're just learning how kids learn and learning how to engage your child in learning no matter what is in front of them no matter what materials they have no matter what curriculum they have you're really learning the foundations and the the specifics of what a child needs to know to learn well that's what matters in my opinion in my opinion all right myth number two this is already getting long <laughs> I can get winded oh, I'm sorry Myth number two, a particular person or entity is responsible for a particular child's education. This is where some parents feel like the school is responsible for their child's education. And sometimes this is a cultural thing and it's out of like respect that they're not going to do any education because that's for the school and they respect what the school is doing and they trust the school and the school is going to do it. The problem is a child is at school for six, six and a half hours a day. And depending on the school, I mean, in some countries, it's like four hours and that's kind of cool. <laughs> but they're, they're there for a portion of their day, but children are learning for the entirety of their day. So when the, that child is with the parents, they're still learning. So the school alone is not responsible for that child's education. The parent alone is not responsible for that child's education, even if the child is being homeschooled. If the child is being homeschooled, those parents aren't necessarily the only ones that are responsible for educating that child. Who else is in the child's life? Are they in a church program, a sports program? Are they doing any outside activities um, anywhere? Are they playing with other friends and neighbors? And do you have other homeschool co-ops? Like any other adults and children in their life are going to be contributing to their education. So choose wisely because that's part of it. Um, it really, it takes a village to educate a child, to raise a child. It takes a village. Use the village. Use the village wisely, intentionally, but use the village because you alone are not enough. And the other really huge one with this is the child themselves needs to have, needs to be given 
the respect and in, to, to take interest and take charge of their own education. They are also responsible for their education. And if they're not interested in learning something, then forcing them into it is not helpful. We'll get into that more very soon. In fact, it's the next one. Myth number three, children need a reason to learn. This is where I see a lot of education by force or by coercion. Children don't need a reason to learn that you are giving them. They don't need an external reason to learn. They need to be, their, their intrinsic interest in learning needs to be fostered. And the worst part is the things that we think might help get them to interested usually are the things that ultimately keep them from being interested. So every time you give a candy or five minutes on the computer or a sticker or any kind of reward for a child who is reading or memorizing their math facts or whatever, you are telling that child this Reading alone, practicing math facts alone, is not worth your time unless you get a reward. They're not, they're not valuable on their own. They're not enjoyable. They're not something that you would ever want to do if you don't also get a reward for it. And there's been studies that have shown kids that were reading, great readers, prolific readers, read all these books. Then they put them into a summer reading program and they got rewarded for what they read. Those children stopped reading nearly as much as they had been. We're rewarding kids out of doing what they want to do. We're rewarding kids out of educating themselves and improving their own education. So please use the stickers for our time. Stop with the rewards. Similarly, Telling a child that if they don't get their reading done, if they don't get their math done, if they don't finish their writing assignment, then they don't get whatever, computer time, they don't get to go with you to the park, they don't put it, whatever, is just making them feel stressed, is just making them feel like this is a terrible thing and it's, if it has this like punishment feel, like school is punishment. In fact, I've seen people try to use school as punishment. If you don't do this, then I'm gonna make you do an extra reading assignment. I'm gonna make you do extra math problems. Why is, why is learning a punishment? That is terrible. We need to stop. No force, no coercion, no bribes, no punishments. Children need to have their intrinsic motivation fostered. I've heard someone say, well, you have to give them extrinsic motivation until they have intrinsic motivation. And I call BS. I have a toddler. He is plenty intrinsically motivated enough for everything. And I've seen that since he was born. There is intrinsic motivation in babies and we reward them to stop being intrinsically motivated. We create them their extrinsic motivation and get rid of their intrinsic motivation. And I'm sorry, if you, don't, if you aren't familiar with those terms, intrinsic is coming from within. Your motivation is coming from within yourself. You yourself are motivated. Extrinsic is you're motivated because of what you're getting on the outside or you're avoiding a punishment on the outside. So we've got to stick with the, that intrinsic 
I coming from within, I myself am motivated to learn. Um, so definite, definite BS, bribes and threats, teach children that learning, reading, math, whatever it is, must not be intrinsically enjoyable, must not be enjoyable by themselves. They need something else. We don't reward kids for playing with their toys. We don't reward kids for watching TV. Why would we reward them for reading? Reading is also enjoyable. Doing math is also enjoyable. Writing is also enjoyable. Cleaning can also be enjoyable, but that's a whole nother topic. But seriously, if, if you think of everything as needing to be rewarded, then you're saying that that thing itself can't be enjoyable by itself and it needs an outside reward. Myth number four. You need to know your child's particular learning style. Do you have an auditory learner, a visual learner, a kinesthetic learner, a tactile learner? Those are the four main ones. Auditory, they get their input from what they're hearing. Visual, they get from what they're seeing. Um, kinesthetic is the movement. They learn the best by moving their whole body. Tactile is what they're feeling. So like they're feeling manipulating small objects or they're feeling sandpaper letters, something like that. The truth is, despite whichever one of those your child may have as their strongest learning modality, all kids, unless they're blind or deaf or have something wrong with them physically and can't do one of those, all kids learn best with all modalities involved. So every time you're trying to teach your child something, you want auditory, visual, kinesthetic, tactile, all incorporated in there. They should all be part of that child's learning. Does not matter which one is the strongest, all of those together is what makes your child child's learning the best. You're providing what they're strongest in, but you don't have to know what they're strongest in because you're gonna provide all of them because even if your best, even if hearing something is the best modality for you, you still learn better if you also have visual input and you also have tactile input and you also have kinesthetic input. And really quick, we're going to look, if you're watching the video, um, and if not, get the, the handout that goes with this. This is the learning period, the rates of retention. Um, you can also look up, just Google the learning pyramid, you'll see what I'm talking about here. The lecture auditory input is 5% retention, 5% of what a child hears taught to them, they will retain 10% of what they read more of a visual input, they will retain the audio visual combination is now 20% much better, right? Okay, and then we're going to get especially next week, we're going to get into why those alone are not enough because 20% that's not that great. It's a good starting point, but you definitely want to get much more learning happening and there's much better ways to educate. So we'll get into more of the participatory um, styles of learning next week. And final myth, myth number five, children will naturally learn everything. I understand where this is coming from. Um, this is more of like an unschool philosophy that I've heard. I'd love to see, hear someone prove me wrong, or maybe they won't disagree with what I'm saying here. 
Um, the truth is children's brains are wired to learn to communicate in some way. Roll over, mobilize. But learning reading and math only comes naturally and learning to talk only comes naturally from exposure and being interested. And learning those things can be impeded by a disability. So if you're just waiting for your child to learn to read and you're not doing anything like reading to your child, <laughs> then you're, you're missing out on something. If your child seems interested to read for a while and then there seems to be a struggle and they lose interest, there could be a few things going on there. It could just be that maybe you got too interested and it made them feel nervous and they made them back off. It could be that they got um, so they felt so stressed by it because it was more difficult than they thought it would be. And maybe that's still within norms of what's difficult and what you would expect and it might not be a problem. Um, I would definitely go with your gut. If you think there's a problem, seek out help. If you don't think there's a problem, you can wait it out a little bit. I just want to point out that a learning disability can impede a child's natural, quote, natural growth in reading and math. And that's only natural because of they're being exposed to reading. They're being exposed to math. It's being given to them throughout their day naturally or more organically, not just like textbook worksheet, but like just being part of their day every day. Um, so I, I'm just saying they have to be exposed to it. They need to be interested in it. And that can definitely happen in a more natural organic way, but they won't just naturally start reading. Kids won't even naturally start talking. You know, there are studies of kids that for whatever reason wound up growing up in the wild without other humans and they don't learn to talk. <laughs> they don't naturally learn to talk. They have to be exposed to it. Um, they, they will, babies without being taught, will figure out how to roll over, will mobilize, start crawling. They will try to communicate in some way, but it's you communicating back with them that teaches them our form of communication, as in talking. Okay. This episode has been hopefully one of the longest I'll ever do. I really wanted to get into all of those before we get deeper into like each one kind of a little bit later in the podcasts. Um, so definitely download the handout that goes along with this. It'll kind of give it all in a quick, easy to see place, decodinglearningdifferences.com. This has been decodinglearningdifferences.com. Um, Season one, episode two, what too many people misunderstand about education. <laughs>